All right, welcome back, everyone, to another season full of post-game podcasts with me, Joe Biscalia, and, of course, my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. Today, the Buffalo Bills defeated the Indianapolis Colts. I had to think about it for a second because I couldn't actually remember it if they if they won. 24-16. to 16, A big team win, as huge, Josh Allen described it. Huge for morale. Huge for morale. But, uh, yes, the Bills were successful in their initial preseason try and uh, a lot of things to break down along the way, whether it be from the offensive side of things, the defensive side of things. Each of the opening units got a, a couple of series at least. And then, uh, of course, some rookie stuff. And, oh, don't forget about those punters because, uh, yeah, the Corey versus Corey Puntapalooza is happening, everyone. So, uh, but the first place we have to start, obviously, is Josh Allen because, you know, this is the guy that they're investing their whole future into and uh, his progress is closely tracked no matter which way you go. And, you know, just, just from my perspective, it seemed like he was a lot more comfortable in, in the pocket, much like we saw at the end of last year. Uh, and that was an important thing to see just because there's been so much time between the end of the 2018 season and, well, the first preseason game of 2019 here on, on August 8th. Um, but, you know, him it, it very easily could have regressed in that area. But him, you know, staying cool in the pocket for the majority of times and, you know, even when things kind of went haywire with his first couple of reads staying within himself and then finding Cole Beasley a couple of times I thought was was a good part to his game as well but but uh all in all I thought this was a, a you know for for him a, a good baseline what'd you think yeah I thought it was you know a lot of what we've seen in practice is that it wasn't lights out he wasn't perfect and you know in some ways that might be for the best you know if he goes down and throws two touchdowns and you know expectations get out of control I think this is kind of the story of his offseason he's taking incremental steps forward and luckily avoiding some of the disaster plays that we saw last year and that all plays into him being you know a bit more in control of what he's doing and not panicking in the pocket or you know trying to get a ton of yards at once he came out of the gate firing the ball deep which is you know to be expected after so much time uh, away from the field uh, and away from competitive action but really the best throws that he made were those ones like you're talking about going through his reads hanging in the pocket staying calm getting the ball underneath to John Brown or Cole Beasley Uh, he took his shots when they were there he had what was almost a touchdown to Zay Jones down near the goal line. A throw he probably shouldn't be making, I think. You know, it was a on-target yeah. on throw. You know, pretty pinpoint accurate, but led Zay Jones into getting clocked by a safety. Yeah, Zay he Jones. put his receiver at risk there, for sure. And it wasn't... I mean, it was a good throw. It's just more so that you don't want to make that throw. Right. And you... Definitely don't want to make that throw in the preseason uh, with a safety bearing down on the receiver. Zay Jones was really in a a no-win spot there. I think, you know, he had to be evaluated for a concussion right after that. He was cleared, but we'll see how he feels, you know, when he wakes up in the morning. You know, the 
the hit he took was definitely, uh, you know, it was relatively clean. I thought it was just uh, quarterback put him in a, in a bad spot. And it was a good throw, and it was a catchable football by by most stretches, but the hit he took wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, um, you know, hard to pick apart too much of what Allen did. Like I said, not a lights-out performance that has you, you know, blocking off January and February for playoff games, but also not <laughs> uh, a disaster that has you looking at the 2020 quarterback class either. Hey, I think the only the only things I could probably nitpick, and one is bigger than the other, um, because I think when he had Zay Jones deep down the field, Zay Jones beat his man. That should be a big throw and catch and he missed him he was about three yards too far and that's got to be a throw that Josh Allen makes if he wants to become the the quarterback that the Bills want him to be then he he needs to make those big plays because that is his brand I mean everyone sees the on-brand stuff with with on Twitter all the time that is very on-brand for Josh Allen to make those big plays so he that's one that that uh, I think he probably wishes he had back. And then the other thing, this is just a preseason thing. When he ran to the left side of the offense, what are you doing, man? I mean, I know he wanted to get the first down, but and he didn't wind up taking a hit there. But I mean, still, it's preseason. Preserve yourself. Be smart. I mean, the, the, you don't need to be doing that in the first preseason game against um, some first slash second team Colts players. Yeah, and a couple plays later, he was scrambling to his right had some room to run had time to get out of bounds if he wanted to held on to the ball held on to the ball and then threw it away but by the time he threw it away he took a pretty big hit and the bills certainly don't want him taking hits like that at any time and they certainly don't want him taking hits like that in the preseason opener and i thought it was an avoidable hit just given the time he had to either throw it away earlier or tuck it and run and get out of bounds. So still an area of his game that he's going to need to improve because, you know, we saw what happened to this team last year when he went down. I think they're more well-equipped to handle it this year, but certainly not an ideal situation. And really, he had kind of a freak injury last year that was really unlucky, but... On the flip side, he was pretty lucky with all the hits he took that he didn't have other injuries to speak of. So they want him to be smarter, throwing the ball away and not taking as many hits and wasn't necessarily the best showing of that tonight. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. So now the Bills will probably get Josh Allen some more time as, as as we go along. And next thing we know, we'll be in South Carolina and trying to figure out uh, what Josh Allen's going to be, and and certainly he'll have more time on the field in that second preseason game. Yeah, he will. And and I think when you get a bigger sample size in a, in, you know, a second or third preseason game, you get a little bit better of a feel for where he's at in terms of getting into a rhythm, keeping the offense on schedule. Mm-hmm. Those, those joint practices, too, I mean, you can't hide in those. And... I know he's been going up against, you know, the Bills defense, which is a very good defense, but uh, there's certainly a difference when you're up against a defense that, um, you know, you're not used to seeing every day and a defense that uh, doesn't quite mind being a little bit more aggressive or, you know, 
disguising what they're doing. It's a, a different kind of test than going up against uh, your own group every day. And it's really yeah. a different kind of test than a preseason game because it's a whole practice where you know he's going to make a lot more throws in those joint practices than he will in the preseason game. And so you almost get a better idea of what he what he is and almost in that those joint practices probably get a better feel for him than we will at any point before the season starts Mm -hmm. Uh, I I mean maybe the third preseason game would be uh, you know another shot at it but you know I think those practices bring out a little something different in teams that participate yeah it'll be a fun one to watch certainly because the Panthers are also a good team and or at least on paper they should be and we'll see if uh, how Josh Allen kind of stacks up there Um, in front of Josh Allen the offensive line certainly played a lot better than uh, than what we had been seeing previously in front of Josh Allen in the in the end of the 2018 season, and I don't know how it could have gotten worse, <laughs> to, to be perfectly frank. Um, the, the Bills had a lot of their new pieces along with the first-team offense. You know, Ty Insecki got the start at right tackle, Cody Ford at right guard, John Feliciano at center. Um, ahead of Russell Bodine, mind you, um, which I know some fans were kind of worried about, and you know you should be if if Russell, Russell Bodine's still going to be your uh, number two center, which this is a sign uh, to the opposite of that. Quentin Spain at left guard, and then Deion Dawkins as he was last year at left tackle. But I think I wanted to center on um, Cody Ford here because getting the start at right guard it's now his i mean for the amount of times that we've been able to see the team the fourth straight time that he has been at right guard now he did work in at right tackle with the second team i think that might have to just get them some reps at both spots but i think it's pretty significant that this is now a lot of days in a row that it's been Ty Inseki with the with the ones at right tackle and Cody Ford on the inside. And I, I actually quite like Cody Ford. He, he struggled a little bit early on, but I thought he really settled in, Did um, used his, his uh, blocking buddies next to him to his advantage, stayed within himself, was pushing pushing his assignment into, uh, into the pile a little bit. And uh, outside of like one, maybe two bad uh, or beats at, at the beginning of the game, I, I thought he I thought he did quite well. Yeah, I think he definitely looked overwhelmed early on. Yeah. And good to see him rebound from it, but better to better to not have it because one or two bad beats can can crush crush an offense during a regular season game, but it being his first NFL action and and everything that comes along with that, the fact that he just switched inside to guard encouraging to see him start the way he did but then sort of find himself again Mm -hmm. in the course of a game which isn't easy to do regardless of your age but it's particularly hard to do if you're a rookie playing in your first game knowing that you know kind of every move you make is being you know critiqued and and is part of a competition so I thought all in all he can be better, but you know the way that he rebounded is an encouraging thing to see. And the, and the offensive line as a whole, I thought was it was better than last year. And you know that's a start because <laughs> I mean Certainly. you know they're without their best offensive lineman, arguably, in, in Mitch Morse. Although I'm going to make a quiet case 
for Ty and Seke. He was great. That's potentially their best offensive line. He was great tonight. I mean, I know Mitch Morse got all the money and, you know, the demand was there in free agency for, you know, at the center position. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of him. And, you know, we'll see what he brings to the table. But Ty and Seke has to be in the starting lineup. Yeah, and, totally you know, agree. I think he's he's shown why and, and he showed why tonight. I mean, that guy can can move a pile and he's he's going to be big in the running game which I think is where the offensive line showed up you know quite a bit and if Cody Ford can settle in he's going to be a real asset in the running game he's he's so much more of a natural fit inside it's I mean I know we've made this point now for weeks on end and I'm sure fans are probably (laughs) tired of hearing it but it's just it's it's true it's logical it's everything and the two having the two of them on the right side of that offensive line Compared to what Jordan Mills and Oof. what was it? John was John Miller John still Miller. the right guard last yeah, year? Yeah, was John hung Miller on for a long time. You're damn right, Jordan Mills and John Miller were on the right side last year. That should be an improvement. Which, by the way, Jordan Mills was not having a good night, uh, according to Dolphins Twitter. A couple of holding calls, um, really doing his best to get Fitzpatrick hurt. Um, well. I mean, not that's being facetious, but still, he he had a Jordan poor Mills is a nice guy. He wouldn't do that, but right, he wasn't doing it intentionally. He was the, just doing it because he didn't have any other choice. Point being, the right side of the offensive line should be a lot better. The left side will be probably similar. I mean, Quentin Spain is going to be an upgrade, um, and we'll see what happens with Deion Dawkins. I think that's as solidified as it's been in the preseason, you know, where those guys have not moved, basically. Still some questions there, I think, you know, of what type of year Deion Dawkins will have and, you know, what they'll get out of Quentin Spain. And, I mean, John Feliciano, probably, you know, all these times we've talked about Russell Bodine or written about Russell Bodine and hammered home the point that he is not a good football player, Mm -hmm. um, at least at this level. Um, Obviously good enough to be at this level, but... yes. not one of the better NFL centers. The, I think John Feliciano would have been practicing there more if he had been fully healthy. And I agree. Since he wasn't, you know, now that he finally was, they took the first opportunity they got to to make him a, a starter and uh, move Russell Bodine to the bench. So heck, even Spencer Long too. I think if because both those guys suffered an injury right around the same time and. That was perfect timing for Bodine to get a ton of run in it and just had this, like, put the seed of doubt in Bills fan. Like, oh, God, is it going to be Russell Bodine if Mitch Morse can't go? They needed a backup center like like crazy. And Feliciano isn't perfect. When he gets beat, he gets beat pretty badly. But he's also a lot less prone to being beat than Russell Bodine because Bodine just gets walked into the backfield. And, of course, tonight we saw him flip the, the snap right over Barkley's head and Barkley ends up getting crushed. That's not something that's all that common with Bodine, but still, yeah, it just... he had problem the other day at practice. He had a bad one too, so yeah. it hasn't been a problem. But yeah, right. In the last four or five days, it has been. So you know, sure. add that to the the list of you know issues with him. I mean, he really should be the fourth center on the depth chart, and you know that's Moore's Feliciano and Long. I thought you were going to put some order. Butker ahead of him. Um, yeah, Butker, I don't know. No. Worth a shot. No, uh, I don't think I it mean, is. <laughs> I'm trying to think who else has played center for this. Uh, Garrett movie. McGinn has uh, taken reps there. He opened up a nice hole today for young Christian Wade. Um, yeah, he was one of them. But, yeah, the, the center spot will be okay, provided that 
Spencer Long and John Feliciano stay healthy. Yeah. It's not a situation where Mitch Morse gets hurt and everything's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. That is, that's just not it. If Russell Bodine's in there, then yes, yeah, panic and lose sleep and all those things. <laughs> um, but that's just not going to be the plan. And quite frankly, they could probably find a center on waivers that would be uh, just as good, if not. But they have two other options. They have two guys who have minor injuries. Uh, And yes, it made the offensive line look really shaky for a little while. But now that Feliciano is back, Long should be back at some point. I'm sure the center position is going to be okay. They have interior options because if they continue along with Ford being their starting right guard, and then Morse comes back before the start of the season then their starting line is Dawkins, Spain, Morse, Ford, and Inzeki, with with your key reserve guys being um, Feliciano, Spencer Long, and Wyatt Teller. So those the interior is fine. I think the the only minor concern would be what happens if one of Inzeki or uh, or Dion Dawkins gets hurt because at that point I don't. I mean, I suppose you could flip Cody Ford out to the out to right tackle, but I wouldn't want to do that. If no, you're I if you're committing you're... to him at guard, you want him to see it through, and you want him to learn on the job with all of that. And I'm I'm not I'm not of the belief where you should just continue to flip flop him because because of injury. I think this is a position where whether it be as preseason kind of goes along, maybe there's cuts, maybe there's free agents out there that want to do it that just don't want to be in camp uh, before the the third or fourth preseason game. Um, but I, I think that's a spot that they need to add to because with Adrian Waddle going down, if Ford's staying at guard, you need to find yourself a new tackle because it's not it can't be it absolutely cannot be Connor McDermott. He's a very nice guy. Not I, it's, he's not ready for that. I think they're okay though because I think if Deion Dawkins goes down, the solution is to put Inseke at left tackle and Ford at right tackle and then use one of your three guards and stuff. Right, but but what about flipping uh, Ford from guard to tackle? I I, I just don't agree with that. I think that's why they're getting him used to playing both. Yeah. So that he can be... I I like the combos that they have because you could bring up an injury to anyone and figure out a solution the worst case scenario is probably Dawkins but you know Inseke would be just as you know bad I suppose because but then Ford can still kick out there and be serviceable yeah and then you put but I would rather have or Feliciano or Wyatt Teller is probably not a right guard but you put one of them over there and if the center gets hurt Feliciano or Long can step in there if Spain gets hurt Teller can step in so I still think Teller probably belongs on the roster, but you know because I think he's played well. It's just yeah. a, a weird numbers game, and if they decide they want another tackle, you know they do have three tackles, three legitimate tackles on the roster. Problem is, one of them's playing right guard right now. Yeah, I, listen. I mean, I'm not completely opposed to the idea. It's just when you have someone who has a a pretty high ceiling to play guard. I just, I just don't want to affect two spots to to try and keep one afloat. I mean, there's a legitimate. There would be a, a drop off from Ford to say Long or Feliciano. At, at least 
just in terms of overall consistency, if Ford gets to the level that I think he can inside, I, I just I would rather if you're going to move him to guard, stick him there and don't move him in the event of injury. It, I just especially in a rookie year, it's so important. Like if he's down, if he's in year three, maybe he can kick outside. Sure, it just just figure it out that way. But when he's so young into his career, I just don't want to mess with it. That, that's that's I guess it's just my. Um, my philosophy when it comes to building an offensive line with with a younger player, I don't want to have his head just totally spinning in his first season. I don't think his head would be spinning. I think he's the type of guy having experience at both spots that at least it shouldn't be spinning. I mean, I think there are times where you know there are certain players where you're you're introducing something new to them, and and it could be too much ideally he sticks at one spot and plays there but I think the fact of the matter is Cody Ford at right tackle is better than Connor McDermott at right tackle it's probably even better than a healthy Adrian Waddle at right tackle you know and and then having that in addition to one of those guards stepping in I think is a better solution than throwing in a random street free agent at left tackle and keeping Ty Nseke at right tackle. Oh, no, I no. mean, it's all contingency. I mean, if Dawkins goes down, you put Nseke over to the left either side. Either way, right. you know, getting a, a, you know, depends who they could find to be that swing tackle. But I think they're okay. And I think Cody Ford can handle it. Maybe I'm wrong. But you see a lot of, I feel like a lot of guys that are, those are some of the most valuable offensive linemen in the league. Guys that can flip from guard to tackle or from left tackle to right tackle. And you see more and more of them uh, across the league. And, you know, the to me, the sooner they challenge him to do it, you know, the more, light, the more you know, able he'll be able to do it down the road, which is why they've kind of been cross-training him the way that they have. And they've already put enough on his plate in the first two weeks to where I think, it would be a kind of a natural move back and forth. I also worry about the confidence thing, though, too, in, in his rookie season because we have seen him not really do all that well with moves to the outside. And if he was just, if it's in a game and Josh Allen keeps getting hit because he can't deal with that to the outside, you know, that, that would be a concern for me as well in, in his rookie season. And I know. I get it. I mean, logically, you would rather have Long or Feliciano in the lineup as opposed to as opposed to somebody else. But I also think he's the most important asset of the bunch. And they invested heavily in him by trading up to get him in the early second round. It, it, if he's that important and you have not hit on a second round pick yet, um, if you're the if you're this Bills regime. Then I don't know. I just I I think I would I would uh, just pause a bit before just automatically flipping over the right side. But you know, it, I guess we'll have to see what happens with that when if it actually happens that Dawkins or Inseki goes down with an injury. What'd you make of Ed Oliver tonight? Ed Oliver was very good. Ed Oliver is a very good football player, and he was. That's what he was tonight. Uh, I thought. You know, going up against Quentin Nelson is a big test, obviously, being, mm-hmm. being that Quentin Nelson might be the best guard in football. But I thought he handled it fine. And the thing about him is that I don't think he really... It doesn't really phase him that it's Quentin Nelson. 
he doesn't really pay attention to that. It's not that he doesn't respect Quentin Nelson, but to him, he was just a really good guard on tape. It wasn't uh-huh. like, oh, I'm going up against Quentin Nelson. It was just like, oh, I'm going up against this really good guy on the other team. And I think that attitude is extremely beneficial in a young player. He had the batted pass at the line of scrimmage. He had an almost sack um, where he couldn't quite bring down Jacoby Brissett, but very active in the backfield. Everything is trending up for Ed Oliver. I think you know he'll start day one, and I think he'll make an impact day one. Uh, what percentage of the snaps he plays remains to be seen, but I think there's a lot of signs pointing to him being a very good football player. Yeah, I agree. Um, even... The play where he almost got the sack. It was good to see because Quentin Nelson dominated him right off the snap. And then, you know, Trent Murphy kind of forced the pocket one way. And then uh, even though, you know, he was getting beat on that rep, he, st- he stuck with it and still was in a position to make a play because one of his teammates made a play. And even though he didn't bring down Jacoby Brissett, it still was good to see that he bounced back from a, a bad initial rep like that um i thought he was there was there was one time where he got off a double team and and stopped the runner right at the right at the line of scrimmage which was good to see by the end of his uh i think his second drive there was a third and long a you know very obvious pass play and and he just fired off the snap and he he might not have the the longest arms in the world but he was keeping Quentin Nelson off of him, and he fired off the snap so hard that he he made Quentin Nelson back all the way up, right right to Jacoby Brissett. And it, I mean, eventually Nelson anchored down and and kept him from get totally getting to Brissett. But he was he put him back like a good four or five yards, and that's also encouraging to see, especially against such a good player. Now, mind you, this is also Nelson's first game since 2018 as well. But when you have Oliver showing those signs against a really good player and one of the best guards in the league, that leads you to believe this guy's got something to him. And, um, you know, he he's taking to this defense so well. He's constantly in the backfield in camp. Um, it seems like they got, at, at least the initial indications, it seemed like they got an absolute steal at ninth overall. And I think that's what the Bills had been hoping for. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of maddening because when you watch him play or when you watched him play from Houston, you sit there and go, that's a top three, top five player right there. Just watch how he dominates people and even dominates against some better competition too. And when the entire focus of an offensive line is on him and he's still getting through like triple teams to get into the backfield, I mean, it, it's just a special talent. And then he goes ninth overall, whether it be for... I don't know, size reasons, um, attitude concerns, what have you. Uh, I I honestly think that the Bills got themselves a steal at ninth overall in Ed Oliver. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be the total package. Yeah, a problem for sure. I mean, he's pretty much born to play three-technique defensive tackle. Some would argue about his size not being ideal, but in the NFL today, it's really kind of right where you want it to be uh, for a guy that he's way stronger than his weight would indicate oh yeah and he's listed at 287 he ain't 287 oh he's playing at like 275 ish i think um but 
I mean, he, all last year he was playing nose tackle. So, you know, it's not as if, you know, kind of switching him to three tech is like a, a dream for him. And uh, he's treating it that way. And there's subtle things that he has to kind of figure out and tweak, you know, with uh, technique. But I think he's, it's all just getting back used to it because he played three technique uh, in high school. So he knows what he's doing. And um, obviously playing three technique in the NFL is different. The technique is going to be more nuanced and advanced, but it's still football. And, um, you know, he's, he's a beast. Uh, I, I think there's not a whole lot to worry about with him and he should probably be on the field very little these next three games because, I uh, I don't really think he needs this. Um, he's so important and he, he's, Without him, the defensive line rotation becomes really not uh, not nearly as fun and just not dangerous at all. You have you know three guys that really don't do anything close to what Ed Oliver does. <laughs> I know. You have Harrison Phillips and Star Latulale who are big you know pluggers in the middle of the line, and you have Jordan Phillips who has some pass rush to him but nothing close to the explosion that that oliver brings. yeah jordan phillips can't move side to side like at oliver i mean it what ed oliver does along the line of scrimmage even if he doesn't get into the backfield it's it's special because he always keeps himself in a play and i don't know it it's it's not you don't always get this but in the case of ed oliver he and the position that he plays and the importance of that position to how they want to play defense, he has the potential to completely change the face of this defense. Because if they're getting pressure up the middle or they are focusing attention on him, then that's less pressure or less attention on the outside guys, Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy, which, by the way, Trent Murphy's looking a lot better this time, uh, time this year than he was last year. And then... That takes initial or additional pressure off of Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, where you know you have to keep more of a focus on the defensive line, and then you can start to get a little bit more gutsy with your play calls um, with your with your secondary. It, it's such a trickle down effect, all because of the interior pressure potential from Ed Oliver. So if he hits and he continues to do the things that he has been doing, I mean. It's, it can it can completely change things, and I, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic by anything, but that's just that's what you get when you have someone that can force the issue from the interior in this defense, and which is why it was such an important thing for Sean McDermott. It was it's why at the owners' meetings that um, he said, you know, some would argue that you know, getting pressure from the interior is more important from from getting it from the outside and, and that he would agree with that assessment, especially in his defense. So getting a guy like Oliver, who's a top three, top five talent in, in this past draft at ninth overall, just I, if if he hits, it's, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch on defense every week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's uh, he is the, the prototype at that position and... I think has a chance by as early as I don't know October maybe earlier to be an upgrade over the 2018 version of Kyle Williams and, and the 2017 version and I'd argue so you know people will 
shudder at the thought, but you know, it's possible that they've got themselves an upgrade there. And, you know, that's, you know, no small task, but you know, obviously the 2018 and 2017 versions of Kyle Williams weren't, you know, what people got used to, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, you know, he has every chance to be that type of impact player on the inside that they, uh, they've been missing the last couple of years. Yep, absolutely. Let's get to the running backs because they were hashtag team fun tonight. Um, Devin Singletary, the stats aren't like jaw-dropping by any means. Um, nine runs for 27 yards, three catches for 21 yards, 38 total yards on, uh, on 12 touches. But it was the manner in which he was running. And, I mean, he was going up against Colts second-slash-third-teamers. But still, you saw exactly what we've seen during training camp. You know, the vision, setting up defenders at the line of scrimmage, being a very slippery, squirmy runner. And, you know, it just having... It's it's a very vague term, but when when you see it, you know it. Having those instincts of when to, uh, when to strike. I remember one run in particular where... Um, he kind of held off from going totally at the hole, just showed a little bit of patience, and then a very subtle stutter step to get a defender to go one way a little bit, and then he got up the field for six yards uh, through the hole. I mean, th- these are just the minute details that it takes to be a more effective runner. It seems like Singletary kind of has um, uh, an ability to do that. Now, is he going to be able to be a massively effective runner in his first season that remains to be seen but there are some positive signs there no doubt I think he should be a really effective runner for this team as a rookie because I mean plenty of rookie running backs have done that in years past and when you look at what Devin Singletary is as a player his issues are hardly you know you know instinctual or things that he needs to learn you know I mean he has such a natural feel for the game Frank Gore was was praising it after the game as, as well saying he hasn't seen uh, anybody like that as a rookie um, since he's been in the league so I mean you're talking about a guy who has a feel for the game he needs a little bit of work and pass protection but he's ready to play right now and I, I think that's a positive sign and to me it was like end of the second quarter and they're still giving him the ball and I was trying to figure out why. Because if he gets hurt, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, you can say he's the third string running back, but to me he's not. I mean, he's part of a committee with the other two guys. And they're, you know, I know the other day LaShawn McCoy said he's the guy and, you know, those other guys are just there to, you know, help him out. Well, I don't think so. I think by the end of the season, those you know, two older guys are going to be there to help Devin Singletary out because he's got all the makings of, of a big time runner. And, you know, it's just a matter of getting the workload at this point. I don't know that the workload's going to be there early in the season, but I think it eventually will be because he's got the freshest legs and, you know, probably the most juice. I mean, we didn't see mm-hmm. LaShawn McCoy tonight, but, um, Part of me wonders what was going through his head watching Devin Singletary because, you know, they've been really, you know, they've been tempered in their praise of Devin Singletary. They haven't given him too much love and, 
part of that might be because they've got a number one running back who's on the sensitive side and has a bit of an ego. And I don't know how he'll handle that. He's, Mm -hmm. you know, they keep saying all the right things about, oh, he's handling the competition, this and that. But then, you know, when he talked the other day, he talked about how those guys were, were there to help him out. (laughs) <laughs> and how he was the guy and a bit tone deaf you know the the criticism is weird and all the you know or the the noise that he could be moved is weird to him and you know things like that so how's he going to respond if in october there's a game where singletary gets you know close to 20 touches because he's making a bunch of plays mm-hmm. and LaShawn mccoy's just kind of in the background mm-hmm. my guess is won't handle it particularly well but we won't know until we see it. So I think if you're keeping him on the bench because you're afraid to hurt LaShawn McCoy's feelings, then you might as well move on from LaShawn McCoy. Because to me, if Devin Singletary is the better back, he should be on the field as soon as possible. We've talked about this before. It's a waste of his rookie contract to think he needs to sit and learn for a year. Mm -hmm. It's silly, you know, especially at that position Sure, there's a lot to learn about being in the NFL and, you know, holding up over the course of a season and all those things. And I'm sure Frank Gore will be right there helping him out, teaching him all those things. But in terms of playing the game, I don't think this kid has a tremendous amount to learn on the field with his instincts and his vision. So he should get a chance to be the playmaker that he is, the playmaker that he showed uh, tonight, so we'll see what happens. I think that's going to be the most interesting thing at the start of the season is how they divvy that all up and how quickly they they turn the reins over to him to be the the main guy in that rotation. Yeah, it certainly will. And you know, I think this would be a good time to point our listeners over um, over to the athletic to something that uh, Matthew, myself, and Tim Graham um, all kind of teamed up on where. We, where we went throughout the Bills locker room to, you know, get veterans' advice for Devin Singletary when he's got both LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore in the same running back room as him. But, you know, even going past that, the one thing that stood out to me more than anything was how much his teammates are enamored by his ability. I mean, Patrick DeMarco, you know, talking about how how good he thinks he's going to be. And, you know, Lee Smith felt the same way. Lorenzo Alexander, all of these guys that are just going, look, this kid's, this kid's got something to him and he could be really, really good. And, and, you know, that's just, that just goes to show that it it's showing up in either the classroom or on the field where this guy is, is impressing all of his veteran teammates. And, you don't always hear this high of praise about rookies to um, fr- from the veteran teammates, and it, it, it goes a long way, certainly, when, when you hear those guys say that type of stuff. Yeah, they, it's not lip service with this kid. I, I think he's, you know, everybody says it about him, everybody that's played with him or against him, and it's part of why Brandon Bean said he was, you know, the most fun guy to watch on tape this year of the guys they picked and of almost any player in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I think we got our first taste of that tonight. Yep, certainly. Um, last thing we'll get to, well, real quick, TJ Yeldon fumbling the ball. Woof, buddy, woof. 
not not looking great, especially when Sonoris Perry is taking all the first team uh, special team reps and then gets a touchdown of his own uh, after you get replaced. And I don't think T.J. Yeldon saw the field after that. So even it, Christian Wade got himself a touchdown. Not, that's where I was going next. Christian Wade, um, what without question the feel-good story of the first week of the preseason, right? I mean, I know we're not in every place, but how do you get better than that? Where the guy on his first carry in his first ever game, in his first season playing football, um, takes it to the house on a cutback run that was designed to go to the other the other side of, of the offensive line. I mean, it, it was pure instincts, had a touch of rugby to it, uh, threw the toe drag on it at the end right before the goal line, and uh, you could tell how excited the team was for him in that moment because, you know, they almost all ran onto the field. They had to, you know, keep themselves kind of on the sideline, but everyone just surrounded Christian Wade because he seems to be a big hit in the locker room, and, you know... I, I saw I saw a picture. I I think it'll probably sneak on um, somewhere uh, on like uh, buffalobills.com or something like that of the pure elation in the faces of Gore, Marcus Murphy, Lashawn McCoy as they're waiting for Christian Wade to get over to them to the sideline. It was uh, it it was definitely a cool moment, and uh, you know I, I know it, it's one that he will certainly never forget. Yeah, it was almost almost unbelievable for a guy who has not touched a football in a competitive game to do what he did. And it cannot be overstated how little football this guy knew. Um, <laughs> Seriously. You know, he, he knew pretty much nothing when he started and really knew next to nothing when he got here uh, other than just the basics. And was getting yelled at in practice because he kept messing up that play that he ran today. He kept, you know, bouncing it outside when he was supposed to be cutting it inside. And he got yelled at enough that the point got through and and he knew exactly what he was doing. He got the ball and just ran full Mm -hmm. speed. And luckily there was nobody there to touch him. And once he got to the second level, you see a lot of the open field stuff that makes him dangerous. But Probably the one of the best stories that we'll see all preseason is, is mm-hmm. that one uh, across the league, uh, quite oh, yeah. frankly. I oh, mean, yeah. the only one that rivals it is this guy in Cleveland um, who returned a touchdown for 85 yards in his first game. His story is that he crashed a workout in Miami, ran a 4-3-8, got an invite to try out for the Browns, lived in a 24-hour gym via guest passes, was charging his phone in a laundromat, was eating like one to two times a day at cookouts, and has stuck and made a play. And he was wearing Odell Beckham's cleats when he did it uh, <laughs> because he forgot his, the oh, ones geez. that he were going to wear. Oh, he geez. misplaced them. And, um, you know, he uh, Odell likes the guy. And so he was like, here, try these ones out. Um, so two pretty cool stories in the preseason in the NFL. And, Seeing Christian Wade uh, afterwards was was pretty cool. I mean, it's you wonder what a guy like that's going to be able to do, and to see him, you know, make a play like that, he's he's fast, and uh, he showed that off tonight. He was, uh, you would think, a guy playing in his first competitive football game ever would be, 
you know, the worst running back on the roster, but TJ nope. Yeldon helped him out. <laughs> he sure did. He, he definitely did. Um, it's time to dust off some awards, my friend. Do we do awards in the preseason? I feel like we haven't done awards in past preseasons. I don't know. Let's let's at least give out. Come on, Darlene. I I'm think, not prepared for this, so you're well, gonna have to go first. You know what? Let's let let's table it. I I I think you're right because we we did the bracket uh, for for regular season games only. I don't remember if we did them. For... I don't. I don't remember like last week. I would say come on, Darlene, to the preseason in general. <laughs> because these games are kind of stupid, but um, mildly entertaining, but relatively meaningless. And I'm ready for the regular season, quite frankly. As am I. But we still have three more of these. And, I mean, I guess... They will should get progressively more fun until yes. the last one, which will be... Absurd, but a beautiful disaster, as three eleven would if say. We're lucky. Yes. Otherwise, it will just be a dull. This game went like three and a half hours tonight. Yeah, it did. That's one thing I'll give the NFL in the regular season: three hours, and you're out of there. Not tonight. No, it dragged and it dragged and it dragged, and the Colts were calling timeouts right up till the very end. They they were trying to get the stop and potentially force the tie. There were also two. Yikes. Pass interference challenges in this game tonight. Not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Yeah. But particularly not a fan in the preseason. Well, you just gotta you gotta practice it in the preseason like you would do it in the game, Matthew. Gotta be prepared for everything. Can't and do I it in, they were in both games. Unsuccessful. McDermott yeah, was unsuccessful. I'm fairly certain. Yes. Um, and the other one was. Also, it was the Colts challenged it, and they were also not correct in challenging it. So, mm-hmm. wasted everybody's time. So that's that's the come on, Darlene. Come on, Darlene. To the pass interference challenges in preseason. Both of those guys. Perfect. Yeah, I guess Sean McDermott was just practicing. <laughs> he's not very good at challenging plays. No, he's not. It won't be. Uh, it won't be on the bracket or anything, but. You know, it, it's it's good to you know dust it off, trying to try get a wrap in. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is now one fifteen a.m. on uh, August 9th, and we need to get some writing done. So uh, we we thank you all for listening to this edition of the Bills Beat. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get a podcast going down in uh, down in South Carolina when we're down there at um, either. After the first practice or the second one, we'll, we'll figure it out before before the game, and then of course after the game in Carolina. But uh, but yeah, the Bills one and zero in the preseason. Watch out, everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not serious at all. Oh, by the way, the punt to Palooza, Corey Carter won tonight. That's that's my uh, that's my analysis of it. I'll I'll do more of it over at the Athletic. As Tim Graham would say, what the fuck would you know about it? <laughs> I mean, I I did do hang times. And, yeah, and well, it's about like more than hang time. Right? I know it is. It's about net yardage. It's about, it's about position for the field goal kicker uh-huh. who missed a kick tonight. Yeah, he did. Early, Doinked it. Early panic mode on Stephen Hauschka. Here we go. Because he wasn't very good at the end of last year. No. I don't know. Whatever. We'll man. see. He'll make the team. I'm panicking. 
<laughs> you're, you're always panicking. All right. Uh, so the next time we will speak with you will be from either South Carolina or North Carolina or both. Who knows? Um, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. The Bills win their preseason opener 24-16, to and we will talk to you next week. See you then. Uh,